We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. The topic for today is American exceptionalism. Are we exceptional? Are we unique? Do we stand out alone as being exemplary? Or are we systemically flawed? And does our country need to be torn down, burned down, and recreated as something better than what our Constitution and Declaration of Independence define us as being? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Today's topic is American exceptionalism. I actually considered trying to include two topics in today's show, but I think I'll just divide it into one show today and then maybe follow up tomorrow with the second. The two topics that seem to tie together in a lot of the debates and conversations today are American exceptionalism and Christian nationalism. In fact, I recently posted something on Facebook with regard to a book that I'm reading right now. The book, by the way, is something that I'll use in my commentary today and tomorrow. It is titled Fire in the Streets, How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics by Douglas Grotice. That's Douglas Grotice, and it's spelled G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S, Douglas Grotice. I stumbled across him as an author back when I was a fellow at the Colson Center several years ago. He was one of the authors that Chuck Colson required us to read. The book at that time was Truth Decay by Douglas Grotice. Well, he has a new book out, and again, I'll give you the title. I would recommend that you go buy it. I found it to be very helpful so far. I haven't finished it, but I'm about halfway through. Fire in the Streets, How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics by Douglas R. Grotice, G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S. Now, I posted a quote about uh, this book, one of his quotes, on my Facebook page a couple days ago. And I'm going to read that quote to you after we take a break. But essentially, that quote led to, oh, well over uh, 80 comments. And those comments are often very instructional. It opens up the door to a lot of debate, good healthy disagreement at times, and sometimes disagreement that isn't all that healthy. But actually, this exchange that took place on my Facebook is, is pretty good. It's instructional. Because there is one woman in this thread that takes issue with Christian nationalism. She feels that we need to discuss that in a negative light with regard to what Douglas Grotice is critiquing in this book, because he is critiquing critical theory, critical race theory, and the degradation of our culture, the burning down of our culture, as is uh, the self-described goal of Black Lives Matter and other, and other progressive um, uh, organizations and movements. And Grotice is arguing against that. 
he's saying that this is an ignorant, ignorant, and that isn't supposed to be an insult. It's a, it's a movement that is not aware, it's ignorant of our seminal documents and what they actually represent and what George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln thereafter, and even Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr. thought about our seminal documents and why they set the context for the progressive, the positive progressive movement toward more and more human freedom and liberty. And those documents are actually the soap that continue to cleanse our culture of the imperfections as we reach toward the ultimate ideals and goals that are defined in those documents. It's kind of my response to the criticism of Christianity. People criticize Christians for not being perfect, and therefore they tear down the whole church in the process. They disparage Christianity for the imperfections of Christians, not realizing that it's Christianity itself and the ideal of Christianity that serves as the very platform for criticizing the failures of Christians as well as those that aren't Christians. In other words, Christianity is the very soap that cleanses the culture of the sins that those that disagree with Christianity criticize. Does that make sense? It's the true north that allows us to have the debate in the first place. So if you're going to ignore true north, but yet still argue that we should be following a north star, it doesn't make any sense. And that's essentially what happens when people criticize Christianity. And I've spoken to that issue before on this show. Well, I find the same attitude to prevail when it comes to this uh, critique, this negative reaction to American exceptionalism. They focus on the failures of our founding fathers and those thereafter to live up to the ideals of our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. And therefore, they say, well, let's just throw the ideals out, throw out the Constitution, throw out the Declaration of Independence, because some of our leaders have failed to live up to those ideals. Well, it makes no sense. You're throwing out the soap that is actually available and has been used to cleanse our culture of sins and make us cleaner, if you will, uh, help us come closer to the ideals as we march toward those very goals that our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence defined. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about American exceptionalism throughout the rest of the show. I'm not going to talk about Christian nationalism. We'll deal with that perhaps tomorrow or later on in the week. So today's topic, American exceptionalism. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Uh, You obviously know where I stand on it. It is a good thing. We are exceptional. We are unique. And those uniquenesses are defined in our seminal documents. Predominantly, the Declaration of Independence, which serves as the conscience, quote-unquote, of our Constitution and our country. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, uh, let me read the quote out of Douglas Grotice's book. Again, the book, I've told it, or I've shared the title with you a couple different times here. The title is Fire in the Streets, and then it's subtitled How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics. Douglas Grotheis, G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S, if you want to go look the book up and purchase it, which I would recommend you do. Okay, here's a quote that I found to be um, very solid because it's a great definition of what a conservative is. And if you've listened to me 
routinely on this show, you know that I defend being a conservative. My definition is that a conservative is a conservationist. A conservative conserves the truth. A conservative believes in conserving good things. Uh, Clean air, clean water, yes. You should be a conservationist in those areas too, but you should also conserve things that matter just as much as clean water and clean air, and that's clean ideas, good ideas, ideas that bear good fruit, uh, ideas that have stood the test of time. That's the Piper definition of a conservative. Well, as I was reading Douglas Groteis's book, I really like his definition of a conservative. It's a little bit more eloquent, perhaps, than mine. Uh, here it is. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. All progressives, and especially critical race theory advocates, focus on denigrating rather than on preserving legitimate institutions. The system must be destroyed, and we will worry about how to rebuild it later, if at all. As Black Lives Matter leader, Hawk Newsom put it, if this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn it down. He then goes on and adds this, a conservative, on the other hand, holds to what Thomas Sowell calls a constrained vision. Social and political aims should be calibrated to avoid utopian ends. A conservative is skeptical, since humanity is not subject to such perfections. Conservatives are eagle-eyed to unintended consequences. Close quote. Now, because you're not reading this and you're listening to me, I'm going to go back over that and give you that quote again. And I want you to listen carefully. I think he really nails it on both the positive and the negative side here. So listen again to his definition of a conservative. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. All progressives and especially critical race theory advocates focus on denigrating rather than on preserving legitimate institutions. The system must be destroyed and we will worry about how to rebuild it later, if at all. As Black Lives Matter leader Hawk Newsom put it, if this country doesn't give us what we want, we will burn it down. A conservative, on the other hand, holds to what Thomas Sowell calls a constrained vision. Social and political aims should be calibrated to avoid utopian ends. A conservative is skeptical since humanity is not subject to such perfections. Conservatives are eagle-eyed to unintended consequences. Now, when I posted this quote on my Facebook and basically said why I'm a conservative, and I pointed to this quote, in other words, I agree with this definition. It defines conservatism very well for me, I believe. Uh, I think this is a good definition. This is why I'm a conservative. It points out the imperfections of humanity and the fact that every single time any culture has reached for a utopian society, utopian goals, it collapses into despotism because they ignore the lessons of history. Conservatism preserves, conserves the time-tested truths. Grotice is essentially saying the same thing that I've tried to say over and over again. Well, when I posted this, there was a woman, a follower on Facebook, that said, thank you. And then she said, does it just deal with critical race theory? Or does it deal with other topics as well? And I responded and said, well, it deals with the free market, free speech, exceptionalism, and a Christian framework. She said, thank you. I'll look it up and I'll buy it on Amazon. 
Now, there's another guy following this exchange, and he asks me immediately, what do you mean by exceptionalism? What is it in your view? I responded, and I said, American exceptionalism. The Declaration is exceptional. The Constitution is exceptional. The Founding Fathers were exceptional. The United States is exceptional. Now, this guy responds, and he says, well, minorities and women might question how exceptional the Founding Fathers were. People worrying about catastrophic health care costs might question how exceptional we are. Just a couple of challenges to how exceptional we are. Okay, he's not being acerbic or mean-spirited right now, so I'm engaging with him, and I responded back, and I said, all of the examples you cite simply prove my point. Um, It's precisely because of the exceptionalism of, of America that all people enjoy more dignity here than they do any other nation and more dignity now than they used to in our nation. Our seminal documents set the stage for human progress and human worth in a way that was unheard of or is unheard of in other cultures, past or present. America is truly exceptional, I said to him. Well, he, he responded back. How were we exceptional when we were created as a nation allowing slavery and keeping women as second-class citizens. Nothing too impressive with that. All right. Now, this is a key theme of those who are buying into the critical theory argument, the critical race theory argument. Now, so I want to focus in on that particular question. How were we exceptional when we were created as a nation allowing slavery and keeping women as second-class citizens? Nothing too impressive with that. So my buddy here is arguing against American exceptionalism. In fact, he's buying this argument from the critical theorists that we are systematically evil, that we have systemic racism and systemic flaws built into our system. And therefore, the system needs to be burned down. It needs to be deconstructed and built back up as something better. To extol the virtues of the Founding Father is blind in his view. To extol the virtues of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence is to ignore the fact that these documents set the stage for bad things rather than set the stage for good things. Do you get where he's going with his presuppositions here? Now, I did respond to him, and I said, we were and are exceptional because we had and have a Constitution that created what we have now. Seems pretty simple. And I put now in capital letters. In other words, why have we moved from the state that he bemoans to a state or a condition that's better than that now? Is it possible that the ideals that were written down in the Declaration of Independence and embraced in a unique and exceptional way in terms of the march of human history in terms of the fight for human liberty and freedom, is it possible that those exceptional ideals that are defined in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are indeed the soap that have cleansed us of our failure to measure up to those ideals, which obviously we we will because all cultures are made up of people that are broken, just like all churches are made up of sinners. If you want to find the perfect church, don't go to it because you'll ruin it because you're far from perfect. You've heard that before. Well, if you want to find the perfect constitution or the perfect country, don't migrate there because you'll ruin that perfect country and constitution because you're not perfect. 
The point here is you want to find the soap that'll cleanse the culture of the imperfections of the people that live within it because the ideals are better than the people. <clears throat> Excuse me, and those ideals actually encourage the people for re to reach for a higher goal, to reach for the ring. The ideals set the bar high rather than low. Okay, so I'm arguing with my buddy here that we are exceptional because of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, our seminal documents, the ideals that our founders etched in stone at the founding of our nation. Those ideals led us to who we are now and the fact that we have moved toward greater liberty and greater freedom because of those ideals. Uh, he goes on and argues that other cultures are just as free as we are, and I say, no, they're not. And I list a bunch of cultures and countries that aren't as free as us. For example, Germany, Russia, China, North Korea, Australia, Great Britain, Greece, Brazil, Mexico, Egypt, Sudan, Nigeria, Libya, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Laos, Cambodia, Cuba, Turkey. I just rattled off these countries, and I said none of these countries have our track record of freedom. <laughs> I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying we're, we have a, a measurable difference in freedom to these other countries. For example, the First and Second Amendment. Every country that I just cited does not enjoy the same liberty and freedom within the First and Second Amendment that we do. So don't tell me that all other countries, whether they be Western European countries or otherwise, are just as free as us. They're not. Uh, all right. So let's talk about this issue of systemic injustices and racism being the foundation of our culture and our country. This claim by the proponents of critical theory, critical race theory, the idea, the worldview that's prevailing in so many of our schools and so many of our colleges across the nation right now and even in our government. That's irrefutable. You see it at every turn. It's uh, the poster child of it would be the 1619 Project by Nicole, Nicole Hannah-Jones that is being used as the official curriculum in school after school, school systems across the nation right now, even though historians and scholars have refuted this particular uh, this particular paper, that's what it was. It was a white paper published in a magazine. Um, and now it has become the curriculum of the land. The 1619 Project essentially argues this, that in 1619, America was founded. Not 1776, but 1619. The reason they use that particular date is because that's when the first slaves were, were, were brought to the continent. And therefore, that is the founding of our country. The founding of the United States of America is grounded in is grounded in the 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 slave trade. Uh, it's grounded in slavery because that's when slaves were brought to the to North America. That's the argument of the 1619 project and it builds from that. So there's this negative seed that has borne negative fruit and we're suffering the consequences of that negative seed and negative fruit to this day. And therefore what we need to do what the proponents of the 1619 Project and critical theory argue we need to do is burn the field down, just get rid of it, trash the entire thing, and then recultivate the field, plant different seeds out there that will bear greater justice. That's their argument. 
And their argument is the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are the crop that needs to be burned down because it was racism that bore the crop of the Constitution and bore the crop of the Declaration of Independence. So, in summary, the basic argument from the critical race theorists, the critical theorists, those that have bought the 1619 Project argument and lie, is that we are eating poison food and that the only way to be healthy as a culture, culture and as a country is to get rid of the food, uh, throw it out, start over again. Well, what, what do our predecessors say about this? Okay, we could talk about Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, and there's lots in Grotice's book about that. We could talk about Abraham Lincoln, etc. But let's go to other um, civil rights leaders, for example. Let's go to Martin Luther King Jr. Did he agree with this? And the answer is clearly no. In his I Have a Dream speech, he specifically says this, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note. And the note was a promise that all men, yes, black men and white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights cited therein. Okay, so Martin Luther King Jr. did not agree with the critical theorists. He did not agree with Nicole Hannah-Jones that our country was grounded in systemic racism. In fact, he's extolling, he's elevating, he's praising the Constitution and the, and the Declaration of Independence as magnificent words that set the context, set the context for what he's fighting for at this time. He's reaching back to those ideals that were promised to us. It's a check, a blank check that they signed and it's our right and it's our obligation, he's arguing, to cash that check, to reach for the goals that that promissory note identifies, codifies. The, it's put in writing. The, the ideal is there. The bar is high. Let's reach for it. Let's not ignore it. Martin Luther King Jr. is saying that. Now, Frederick Douglass, earlier than Martin Luther King Jr., said the same thing. Here's a quote from Douglass. I have said that the Declaration of Independence is the ring bolt to the chain of your nation's destiny. So indeed, I regard it. The principles contained in the instrument are saving principles. Stand by those principles. Be true to them on all occasions, in all places, against all foes, and whatever cost. That's Frederick Douglass. He recognized that the ideals of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution thereafter were the very things that would provide for liberation, freedom, and human dignity. Grotice says this, In my view, it's the Declaration was the conscience of the Constitution. Okay, He believes that the Declaration is the conscience of the Constitution, of our country, the positive understanding of all men being created equal, of inalienable rights. This positive understanding, this dignity, this call for freedom and liberation has been incorporated into the American creed. 
And these documents, and now he's referring back to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, have become the eventual inspiration for a freer, a fairer, and a more just society. And then he quotes Shelby Steele, a black scholar, America's essential truth, the deepest theme of our identity is still freedom, and freedom is still our mother tongue. This is found in the founding documents. This is the root and the seed of American history. So yes, I do believe in American exceptionalism. And so did Washington. And so did Jefferson and John Jay. And so did Benjamin Franklin and Alexander Hamilton. Oh, but those were all white elitists, slaveholders. Well, do you realize that Thomas Jefferson was very critical of slavery? And do you realize that when George Washington signed the Northwest Ordinance, that he signed it only contingent upon the fact that all of those additional properties and states added to America would be free, that slavery could not be practiced in that expansion of our country? Do you realize that they set the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence as they did so that the southern states would have to abandon the slave trade and that the, uh, the entire industry would dry up as the result of this sunset clause that was actually incorporated into the Constitution? that the southern states would have to give up the entire industry within 20 years after joining the Union. Do you realize they did all this? And do you think that maybe, just maybe, it's those ideals and that bar being set so high that actually has allowed us to progress as we have? And that Martin Luther King Jr. rightly acknowledged that and that Frederick Douglass rightly rightly affirmed that, and that Shelby Steele today is rightly saying the exact same thing. Do you think that maybe we should be listening to people like this? Thomas Sowell, Shelby Steele, Clarence Thomas, Candace Owens, the list goes on. Maybe, maybe listening to these people that recognize the ideals and the exceptionalism of, of America as being good rather than bad would be something to consider rather than arguing that we should just burn it all down and start over again, which is essentially what my critic on Facebook is arguing. He's saying, how dare you suggest that America is exceptional because America has these sins in its past? It's the same argument that they're using with the church. How dare you suggest that Christianity is good when it has all of these sinners within the four walls of the church, within the body of Christ? not realizing that the very criticism itself actually proves our point because you couldn't criticize any of this stuff for being, being bad if it weren't for the ideals that are codified in our documents in the first place. Documents such as the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and in the case of Christianity, the Bible. It's that true north that allows us to come home. It's that north star that allows us to stay the course. It's that soap that allows us to cleanse ourselves of the failures we have in the first place. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.